American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hello there, listeners of The Real Rejects. Welcome. Welcome to your doom. (laughs) (laughs) You are broken. You must listen to our thoughts now. Thanks to Storyblocks for sponsoring this podcast, right? Yeah. They're the ones today. They are the ones, Storyblocks. What are we going to do today? We're going to talk about Stranger Things for um, the finale. Yeah. It, it pretty much sums up our thoughts of... We didn't really talk much about part one. Uh, not yeah, part like one. bite episode, episode Chapter eight. eight. Yeah. The Papa... Spoilers. Papa dies, Pa-pa-pa. and we had some thoughts, but, you know, just go make a little bit of an effort and just go watch the video. <laughs> just go there and watch the video, because the thick, long discussion is, is incoming right now. We oh, recorded yeah. it pretty, uh, pretty like, 7 in the morning after uh, watching it, at, starting at midnight and doing some other work in between. So, yeah, this is... Um, this is a long discussion, but I, I think it's a, a really great one, especially if you're a Stranger Things fan, and especially if you uh, enjoyed the finale. And I hope you like it. Hope you like it. Uh, if you don't, then and then, then I, I probably will never know that you. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't, especially don't come check out the reaction highlights at patreon.com or youtube.com/slash the real rejects, and don't whatever you do. Come sync with a uh, sync up with us with your own copy uh, and the time code and all that stuff at our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash The Real Rejects. Don't do that if you're not a fan of these episodes. You guys can't see is John looking at a camera that is not recording. I know. (laughs) Like the bar, the 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 voice, the you know the vocal levels are go good. Now my brain is starting to go. Finally, (laughs) I'm like, oh yeah, the uh, audio levels are ticking. But they don't mean anything. <laughs> anyway, that's more info than you guys needed. Thanks, Storyblocks. <laughs> Let's go. Whoa. God damn. Ominous. You thought the ending of last season. <laughs> Volume 1 was crazy. <laughs> damn. <sighs> wow. Is there gonna be a post credit scene or something? Mm, maybe. Is there not making making a skip? Maybe yeah, for once things. Netflix is like, hey, people people made two and a half hours worth of this. You, you can watch their names now. <laughs> that was wild. That was wild. That was epic. Kind of got like. <laughs> sounds weird. Uh huh. I kind of got like. <laughs> <laughs> 
Jurassic World ending of Fallen Kingdom vibes. I was going <laughs> to call like, that out at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like... <laughs> the, They're yeah. off the island now. Yeah, out, like all the Jurassic Park's like, oh, they got to keep the dinosaurs away. And then, oh, this ends with, oh, shit, they're going to come. They're on They're the mainland. Yeah, what are we going to do? That was like the vibe I got was like, oh, damn, the upside down's coming. <laughs> Maybe the rest of the world will finally believe or at least no, <laughs> understand. That's that pretty nuts. <laughs> Oh boy. Crazy, crazy stuff. In Albuquerque. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're just like, no, we're making you sit through the credits. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want you to realize it's over and then cancel your subscription until part five comes out. <laughs> One thing's for sure this season certainly isn't repetitive. No. I love that. I love how it ended. I really love how it ended. I prefer that. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. This was a tour de force. At least here in this moment. Jeepers. All right. It's now 5.30 in the morning. Oh, good. Hey, we did it. We did it. We did it. This was like, uh, this was like a junior Snyder cut. <laughs> Between these two episodes. Except we didn't shoot it at 3 in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We started at a more reasonable time. No, it's great. I'm wide awake. No, <laughs> hey, that's what invigorating <laughs> stories will do. Awesome. <laughs> I don't really care. It's 5.30. Yeah, it was awesome. I will in a couple hours, but not now. <laughs> All right. Well, God. Now let's give the most concise, thorough review possible yes let's let's leave no stone on the <laughs> let's knock it out of the bar let's yeah. do a review as long as the episode <laughs> beat by beat breakdown thank you to storyblocks for sponsoring this video being the cinematic artisans we obviously are we are always in search of ways to make our videos look better faster and most of all for cheap cheap is good and if you're a content creator or filmmaker or anything in between you're probably in a similar position it's tough to get your content looking as good as it can be without breaking the bank or burning yourself out in the process which is why i heavily encourage you guys to check out what storyblocks has to offer cheap is good do you feel like this is their way of telling us that the videos could be looking better yes whether it's the credibility of an exotic establishing shot, the soothing comfort of the perfect music bed, or just the satisfaction of increasing your graphical capability. Storybox has an incredibly inclusive and diverse library of faces, places, sounds, titles, transitions, filters, and effects. And more. Over a million assets, royalty-free, and available for personal and commercial use with your membership. Sounds so affordable. <laughs> it is quite affordable. They have multiple subscription levels to suit your exact needs whether you're an independent indie solo creator or a whole team so if you want to learn more head on down to our link in the description box and get started that's at storyblocks.com rejects now back to the video all right wow here we are okay well to be totally transparent with you guys gonna need a slight refresh my mind as we're doing this because <laughs> what ended up happening was is we so we started shooting this at midnight it's now seven in the morning for us because um even though we finished at 5 30 because uh we send footage to, to prepper to help edit and then when they got a cut done i review it give notes then they adjust it and then uh, they, they turn it around so fast this is a promo for prepper right now because <laughs> wow they really uh, really delivered this time around and then I was like, oh, okay, I need to like prep this video now and make the thumbnails and, and get that one up. And then an hour and a half went by. Now, now I'm going to talk about part two. <laughs> when I just saw, we've watched like so much footage of part one. But my mind, it's all going to come back to me in, in just like a, a split second here because uh, this was great. This was epic. It was so um, 
transportive. You know, I, I think it is a testament, you know, with, with the kind of weird life that uh, John and I live with doing this, with reacting to stuff, you know, and it's like we want to give good reviews and all that. But, you know, when we're filming stuff at this hour, it's important that we remain engaged and we can really just immerse ourselves in it and, and really just feel what's going on. And uh, sometimes when it's like three in the morning, you know, you're not really going to be in the mood to have a camera pointed at you. But this was so incredibly immersive that the time went by so fast. And I think that's such a testament to how strong this is because this was beautiful. And uh, the last like 30 minutes, I was just kind of left in like shock. Hmm. You know, I, I think about, I'm, I'm sure for a lot of people, they were just left in in insane amount of tears. And I, I've noticed that just with Stranger Things alone from my rewatch of the first three seasons. I remember my rewatch of the first three getting like increasingly more emotional than I ever had been on my first go around. And uh, like like with Eddie, for example, like this Eddie, Eddie death scene and just everything that was happening in the end with Max and all that, I was just kind of like, wow, this is really going down a bleaker route than I expected. And it's the, the Hawkins is now being exposed to like, there's no denying the truth now. And my, my mind was just so captivated. And my, my heart was just like, I don't know how to explain my emotion on it. My heart was like, not, really um i was moved but so stilted at the same time because <laughs> this is so such a like so different you know because normally on stranger things how it ends is they win they <laughs> save the day and then they have a cliffhanger for the next season it's showing that nope the upside down still has some tricks up its sleeve <laughs> that's usually the ending of them but it's usually a happier note that it ends on, where this ended on a more melancholic, more bittersweet note. I mean, granted, they tend to have that, and especially Stranger Things 3, but it was still a victory ultimately for them. And in here, this is like something, it's such a gray where, you know, like last season they won, but they lost Hopper. And, you know, Billy died, but Billy was also the like the villain of that season. It was a total asshole, as established by in this episode. And here it's, it's such a mixture of like there's a lot of terrible things that this is ending on and some victories you know, <laughs> you know? yeah 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 there's there's it's it's funny it is a very bittersweet and a very heart heavy and a very hard finale and i think there's a benefit i mean it seems like they've always known that I mean, since the show started, it was a runaway hit, so they, they probably knew they had carte blanche to continue however they please. But there's also something about this season where, especially with like the talk uh, among fans as well as the cast of people being like, this, is, this cast has gotten huge. Like, there's got to be some like heavy, hefty stakes, and we've got to either lose somebody or something along the way. And I think that they met that. Uh, pretty conscientiously here because yeah like there if you look at the math it's like you know we get one major character death and one major character well two if you count Brenner last episode but one major character death for this finale and one major character marring incapacitation etc in Max and I feel like those two things are like it's almost worse than a death what happens to Max because they bring you up to that point of tension where you're like, oh my god, he's actually gonna do it. It's like when you see her lift up off the ground, I think even there's that moment where you're like, no, 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 this could be fine. But then when her limbs start snapping, you're like, 
even if they bring her back from this, like this is going to be rough. And then, yeah, the whole back and forth with Eleven and losing her and, you know, Lucas believing he's actually said goodbye and then Eleven being able to bring her back, but it's not the full salvation we're hoping for. Like, I think they, they did really nicely to create these back and forth moments of, oh, no, there's hope. Oh, but yeah, it's not quite definitely. the payoff I was expecting. It's not quite the relief I was hoping for. There's a chance for Max, but... I mean, we leave off on a note where it's like, man, but she's in a coma for now, and and it might not be enough. Like, it, you know, Eleven is able to prolong her life here, but she could slip away, you know, or, or I doubt that will be the case. I think she will come back ultimately, but they've at least maneuvered it dramatically into a position where I'm like, yeah, the toll of whatever victories in this episode was, like, fought for tooth and nail and yeah, the victory clearly doesn't outweigh the the distance still left to run. Yeah, and that's yeah. I think there's there's something about that where it's like you see there are so many wonderful reunions by the end, and there are so many great cathartic uh, tears to shed, and there are so many great victories, but it's like you can barely bask in them. Like it doesn't have that, that note of like the characters for all intents and purposes believe that things are good and fine. And, and you know, they're going to take a vacation from terror for a couple of months until the next season starts. Whereas this is, yeah, there are some of those victories, but everyone, including us, the characters, everyone's like, no, 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 but things are still arguably worse than ever. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the cliffhanger here is that something is going to keep going on. It's not going to be the same thing where, like, they take a vacation yeah, and, bam, we're, you know, oh, a new a new thing is now happening. It's going to be a continuation. It's a different cliffhanger to end off on. I think it just kind of hits me, it hit me right now of what happens with me with shows, hmm. especially shows, more than movies, because of the committed journey of a character. Yeah. Is what happens is, is... I think that feeling I was looking for is shock because I, I, I'm grieving. And my natural reaction to a death thing, like I almost got word today about a pet of mine. Like it's not the same scale. It's actually worse real life. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, a pet of mine was like, a family pet was like, I thought it died. And my first reaction was just that feeling I had right now, just shock. And so like when I'm seeing Max there, like I don't go to tears when, when I go around. I think uh, I, I start bargaining in my head. I start going like, well, maybe Max is like, you know, going to come back with superpowers. I start saying shit yeah. in my own head. <laughs> and uh, and even with Eddie, I was like, okay, he's bleeding, but he might be fine, though. He might, yeah, he might just yeah. be still stuck there and he'll be okay. <laughs> like my yeah, mind just yeah. starts going there instantly. You know, I'm more likely to like get choked up at like my speech about, you know, love and com and, and fighting for that. You know, that's why I think that that running up the hill episode four of this season was so powerful and, and so memorable for people, especially for me. Like that stuff is the thing that I'm like, I'm not grieving in that moment, you know. Yeah. So I have this like natural like whoop, whoop, defense mechanism. <laughs> that's yeah, kind of yeah, what yeah. comes up in me. And it's, a, it's fascinating to see that's kind of what happened with my experience here. Although with the Eddie death, it, it, it's, it's a powerful death. I mean, because obviously... It was setting up from even volume one ending that he's going to do something heroic. Like it was just so set up and they even reestablished it in this episode. He's yeah. going to do something heroic. Um, to me, my I, I did go, man, what, why do they always just, why do they kill off like the 
the new, new character, reoccurring character. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bob, and then uh, and then uh, Alexi in the Alexi, last season. Yeah. yeah, I mean Billy got two seasons, so he, he doesn't count quite. But yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I like how they handled Papa's death. Um, but yeah. even Papa's a character like brought back. He's dead. <laughs> it's not the same thing. Um, but it's kind of interesting that like season three gave you that complexity with Max and Billy. Who's the villain? And then here you have Papa and Eleven. Papa's a villain. So to uh, have that kind of correlation, especially when you see this friendship that forms between Max and Eleven, mm-hmm. uh, it's fascinating stuff. I admittedly, uh, like I know you very much are, and um, seems like most people are. I've I've always I've really liked Eddie a lot. Um, I've, there's there's a lot. Everyone I talk to like loves Eddie, and I don't dislike Eddie one iota there's not one part of me that has a single like gripe or issue or criticism about him for some reason I've just never been as emotionally attached to that character as much as you guys probably are as much as John as much as everyone else I know is <laughs> I'm kind of the odd one out like I don't know I just don't, I don't quite love him as uh, like I just <laughs> I just don't have that that's strong of an attachment i was like more endeared to bob than i was to eddie <laughs> and uh i did love bob <laughs> yeah but that was another thing too where i got really choked up on my rewatch um mm-hmm. but here with and so i'm i'm a i will rewatch this especially before volume uh season five comes out i'm going to rewatch it mm-hmm. and i am curious to see if i'm like oh yeah no i'm definitely more attached this time but as far as his death goes that was uh that was very that, that was beautifully done and i think the perform the the fact that I don't. Who's the actor who plays Dustin? He's so good. Oh, Gaten Matarazzo. So good, so amazing, oh, and I dude, love that dude. they gave, they trusted in their actors who have not only physically grown but grown as actors, and that they allowed them to show that. You got that with Dustin, where you know, like those are real tears. You know, like oh, the that quiver, was heartbreaking. Lip quiver. You know that's yeah. real. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god. You know what? What just hit me now too is is so many of those moments are so desolate and lonely. It's like with Dustin and Eddie. They're pretty much alone, and I loved yeah. the monologue he gives to his uncle at the end. Uh, and he doesn't even speak back to him, but it's just that thing of like only the two of us basically know. Like the rest of their friends know, but only Dustin was there for this incredibly lonely act of valiance. And I feel like there's a lot of that throughout the episode with the way everyone is divided. And I think that even though that was brought on partly by real world constraints, they made a lot out of it ultimately. Uh, especially with Eleven being able to traverse the gap mm-hmm. and to, you know, join them, uh, you know, in the mindscape. And, and, but that even too, just like Lucas and Max alone, not mm-hmm. even knowing Eleven is there. And then she's kind of alone because she can't directly communicate to either of them either, sort of Max. Or, uh, but still, like, there's, yeah, so much going wrong and so much that's like so lonely and desperate about all these situations there's so much isolation well caleb mclaughlin is mclaughlin is yeah the, is, is is lucas yeah even him too like oh, his, yeah. his i didn't really feel like he there's no insult or slight towards him i, I didn't there's just there wasn't much for me in in the prior to the final episode I think that's what they really got down in this one more than anything else that I think is so important was not only stakes and revelations or reveals, but they really gave most, uh, I would say. Can't really think of anyone off the top of my head where I'm like, nah, they, they kind of could have done more, but most definitely got a true scene to shine mm-hmm. and, and paid off somehow. 
and Lucas, uh, you know, especially to have that level, like you're saying, desperation and, and heartbreak. Like he's, he's a changed person and a different human being by the final scene that he has here. Like he's broken, he's shattered. And, um, you know, he's like becoming a man, man, praying to God in a way, you know, like, and I, I think he did such an incredible job in this episode. Like he brought his A game. So did uh, actor plays Dustin. They were, they were all so excellent. I think this episode really excelled at, cause halfway, th I think it's around the halfway point when, you know, Eleven shows up to help fight Vecna. And then Vecna brings Eleven and Max to his red Creole outdoorsy <laughs> spot <Yeah, laughs> the four the four points four chime points yeah um and it was there i was going like wow they're really selling me that that you know vector's gonna win wow they're really selling me on this mm -hmm. but then you know i'm like but uh, nah, come on man it's still got like an hour left now they're probably, they're probably <laughs> gonna win you know and probably, some, probably something's gonna something's gonna, gonna happen right something and, always comes along to save the two simpson children <laughs> <laughs> but then um when 11 you know, got the upper hand on him, and it was exciting. What I uh, what I loved is Vecna's confidence just never swayed. Mm -hmm. He was so assured all the time, like all the time. Even when he's like looking pushed up against the wall, and he's like, "You've already lost." Yeah. <laughs> Come at me, bro. I love that. I, I absolutely, I, I really love that. And you got to pull Michael Myers, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Run downstairs, not there. Yeah, it's so funny. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, totally. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and I think what's fascinating is now that, you know, Vecna's true identity has been revealed. I, I feel like this is probably purposeful is they allowed whoever, I don't know the actor's name, whoever plays Henry Vecna, one. Jamie Campbell Bauer. You think, yeah, like you think. I know you know. There's three names. I could have easily gotten one wrong. <laughs> I know you know. I know that. there's a Bauer your, in there. It's your specialty. <laughs> that name name memory. It's a great quality to have. Um, I feel like they let him play Vecna more human in both of these episodes. Uh -huh. Like his body language, the way he did his dialogue. Whereas before... He was kind of just a presence, just a monster, very stoic, you know, just like the demonic entity that comes to claim a soul. Uh, but here, in these both these episodes, you're like, oh, this is. I see the I see the Henry in there now. Yeah, and I think both episodes let that happen. Yeah, he goes from being a boogeyman to being no, that's a specific person. That's a burnt body. <laughs> yeah, that's a burnt up body. <laughs> yeah. This probably had even more craziness done to it in the time that we haven't observed his upside down journey. Like, yeah, and then you feel the kind of agelessness that he has transcended into. It's a great performance, and I love the way that they, I mean, from what I've heard and what the Duffer brothers have said, a lot of that effect is practical, and I thought they did a really great job of marrying all three elements of like that's clearly a lot of silicone and makeup on top of him and there's clearly cgi enhancing that but especially you point out during the reactions like this is the most we've ever kind of seen the actor in the character and i think that was a beautiful kind of way to to put that together as as sort of freddy krueger and resident evil and different things as you can kind of reference out of it it did start to feel yeah more like a 
even in that respect, like not even just through the writing and everything, but yeah, through the the combination of all that movie magic, you know, it really did feel like a, a particular person, and that was what started to make me feel like this was kind of a different send off for a season because I was like they've gone out of their way to establish just how singular and important this entity of the upside down is in in a lot of ways he kind of you know got there and and gave order to the whole thing in a perverse yeah. way and so even if we somehow vanquish him for now like it's not the end like it can't be the end like it's weird it's there, there are so many ways in which you can end these seasons and go okay there will still be more upside down hijinks to manage next season but for right now we vanquished whichever boss and i didn't get that feeling this time and i think uh again like this show over time from my viewing experience uh the first time especially it was sort of an increasing thing where each season i liked it a bit more and this has been well this it is... took you i remember it took you some time to get through it yeah 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 i had to restart the first season a couple times then i finally kind of yeah caught the wavelength and then just the further i got season two i liked even more season three I liked even more season four i've been loving and i feel like Again, they've made it feel like something special, both in that, yeah, I mean, it's all the stuff that we love is back, and there's all the easily uh, latch-onable elements, but also I think they just really came with the characters and the writing in a way that feels like a passion project for everyone involved. And I mean, they said, like, Max, uh, uh, Sadie Sink wrote the letter that she reads to Billy, things like that. I'm like, I really feel like everyone, even the uh, Jamie Campbell Bauer, like everyone seems like they, they really brought a ton of like heart and soul to what this is. And even characters who were underserved perhaps earlier on in the season or who weren't as focused on or who we would sit here and go, ah, it doesn't really seem like they were the most important part of this. We kind of check back in just to make sure we don't forget them. Like everything by the end of this at least felt like it had a button or it had a moment to gleam and, and everybody's emotional journey in some way kind of contributed to the greater whole. Well, Mike Finn Wolfhard, I can confidently say now, <laughs> is not one of the leads. <laughs> he, no. He is a supporting character. Yeah. And um, it's, it's, it's interesting because the show seemed to kind of go up in its way. Granted, it worked and it was very effective and it moved me a lot. <laughs> so I, I'm not going to fault it. It did seem like it was kind of going out of it. So it'd be like, here's why Mike's important. <laughs> ah, it's the Xander thing. It's like, you're important because you're regular and you got a lot of heart, buddy. Yeah. You keep us together while all of us specials are out doing special stuff and losing our minds. Yeah. And but it, like especially this, maybe it'll change in the following season, but he's progressively, it, it seems like they've progressively been finding less and less things to write for him to make him compelling and just as interesting as the rest of the cast. And then here, it wasn't, it wasn't until the final episode where yeah. it was like, all right, okay, cool, Mike. I like, I like, I like you a lot again now. <laughs> Hell it's yeah. It's been interesting to watch that because, yeah, I feel like in some ways... In some ways, I think it's cool because then you allow characters like, and I, you know, talking with other people, I've heard people say like, "Oh, it's cool that like Lucas gets to be an actual character with like a really uh, an arc that you can invest in, and him and Max and all that stuff is really great this season." And I feel like pushing characters like Mike to the background a little bit 
is natural over four or five seasons. It's weird. It's like, I, I, I know people love Finn Wolfhard. I very much enjoyed him over the show, but it kind of feels natural the way that all these characters have kind of slid around, even if there are parts where we go, man, Will just keeps getting the short end of this. Like, Will, even here, it felt like they made something out of the fact that he's always kind of in the background yeah. <laughs> and separated from everybody. And, and, and it's things like that, I think. It's like they're able to use distance better perhaps than before in certain ways although it is interesting to see that that yeah it is almost decidedly so here that yeah like mike is not the focal point really <laughs> no not at all i mean that that whole it kind of seems like what i we said about mike could be applied to everyone on that plot line for, yes. <laughs> for like jonathan yeah. definitely doesn't feel anywhere near it it's been that way since season three. It doesn't feel anywhere, in, and a lot of people have speculated that it might have something to do with the act, Charlie Heaton's personal life, and um, his, him. That whole that whole plot, Argyle became more essential in this in this last couple episodes. <laughs> Team Argyle, boy, I love the um, everything with the pizza shop. Just mwah. it was great. That was great, and I'm glad they managed to really make that work. Because um, that could have been silly as hell, and they somehow. It was like it was such a funny thing to have start and the whole intercutting with him making the pizza. But then you're like knees deep in the conflict and, and they're actually doing it. And she's, you know, in the tub and you're just like, I forgot all about pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this feels totally serious where this was funny as heck a minute ago. I, enjoy, I enjoyed it them. I, I, I wasn't really enjoying it in the in volume one, but volume two, everything about them in this volume was really good. And mm-hmm. I kind of it, it's interesting seeing how they end note with. Because season one ended with Nancy and Steve still together with Jonathan pining over her and her being like, maybe I should have gone with Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> and then this season ends the complete opposite for yeah. her. Of there, there's some tension with them, and she's like, maybe I should have gone to Steve. <laughs> and it, it did kind of. Steve got to express how he's already arced. Yeah. Does that make sense? He gets like, to he got to f- completely actualize his arc. Yeah, we yeah. didn't get to we didn't see necessarily how he arc. We don't see him we don't see him arc in this specific season, but he gets to express he just, how he's changed. He becomes and, more mature and yes. better at articulating his maturity as yeah. time goes on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think they did a great job at that because it seemed like there was some stuff that was happening in between season three and four where that a lot of that already took place that allowed him to do the decisions here. Mm-hmm. Um, unless I'm wrong, you can tell me. And and uh, Robin getting a chance at love at the very end was very, very sweet. <laughs> I saw a tweet. Somebody said, like, it's Pride Month and the Duffer Brothers just taking it out on the gays. And it was just two still frames of one of, uh, of Robin watching as uh, the girl kisses the guy in the vet store. Huh. And then uh, Will as... Eleven and Mike reunite, but I, I I appreciate it's funny. It seems like like Robin and that girl are probably gonna get together or become good friends. But Hopefully. it certainly seemed like there was she's probably just bisexual or something. But I, I appreciate too that as much as people are like just say it already with some of these like whose sexuality is what things. I kind of like that they still leave them un it's the fucking eighties unsaid because <laughs> yeah. it is the like I I thought the moment between uh, it was funny there's something the eighties ab- in the Midwest like no one's yeah. ever gonna be like sweet <laughs> yeah yeah 
yeah. yeah. Oh, you should have told us a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, I, and I thought that the, 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 <laughs> they're the one really got not keep interrupting, yeah. but they're the ones who go freaking Dungeons and Dragons and Satan. <laughs> yeah. like, you think they're going to be the ones who are like homosexuals, though. Totally cool. We're good with that. Yeah. They're not in with the devil whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that scene in the pizza shop again between Will and Jonathan, I thought was really beautifully done. And I thought that was a great. A, a part of it felt like they were literally being like, hey, I know we haven't been as important lately, <laughs> and I know that we have been distant from the audience and us as characters, but, you know, I feel like we should talk some more. But but beyond that, beyond, like, the weird meta layer, uh, I, I just love that, that that little beat of, like, no matter what, like, it's the, it's the he says it without saying it, and I thought that was a really beautifully played scene, because it still doesn't come right out and say it, it could not be what we're all reading into, but at the same time, it was, it was such a great brother moment, which you don't see a lot of, like, I thought they've done, as much as people bemoan wokeness, they've done a nice job of going different ways with tropish relationships and elevating or pushing to the forefront certain characters who wouldn't normally be in a way that feels very natural because of the ensemble they have built. And I think that's a really cool thing that they're able to do without it feeling like somebody's spreadsheet says they should add somebody of this or that, you know, disposition. Well, season two, they had a lot of Jonathan and, and Will. Like, that was a big... Like, I love Jonathan in season one and two. He's excellent. Absolutely. Like, the Byers family was, like, the main characters of season one. Mm. And and uh, Jonathan was excellent. A big part of him in season two was his his uh, older brother insists the need to take care of him. And, um, I, uh, and so to kind of remind us of that was awesome. Sadie Sink. Oh, boy. Uh, brilliant. <laughs> I, I loved when she... In order to get to Vecna, she has to, she has to get to a place of truth and honesty, and not just taunt him out, uh, allure him out with, you know, trying to antagonize him. It's good for that. It's good for both characters that they chose that. Yeah, especially because it's it was such a fascinating dichotomy to see how she actually kind of benefited from it. Because she got to come to the point of truth about her emotions. <laughs> well, and it called yeah. back to something I think we were talking about during the first half, which was like she, she says all those, you know, beautiful things about Billy in that letter and everything. But what about the other side of that where he did make your life a living hell most of the time? Yeah. And, I, and I love that they brought it back to that. And that, yeah, it's like you have this plan and you're gearing up and you're like, oh, here we go. But no, yeah, you, you really do have to sacrifice something and to put yourself mm -hmm. in a truly vulnerable position to be that bait. A thousand percent. Yeah. And uh, just the way she acts, everything is beautiful. Like every beat. And even including, you know, like the, like you were saying, like the, the, the like eye jitters and all like the sci fi shit, like it's just so natural. I, she's one of the strongest actors on the show. A hundred percent. She's she's one of the absolute best actors. Yeah. And that's why I was like, you can't lose Max. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, I was just in shock when she was like in in Lucas's arms and he was crying and and then her she couldn't see. I was like, oh my god, are they really doing this right now? <laughs> like, I was I was more like my mind starts going to other places of like, would the does Netflix do this? I mean, would they want to do this? I mean, she's especially with how freak like Max. 
has always seemed to be really liked. I'm talking like general. People I know love her. I think the love for her just had this massive uptick from volume one. Mm. It just, it went so much higher up. Once people saw episode four, it was over. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah. it, it, it just skyrocketed for her. And, you know, and she's had kind of a fascinating, as the actress, she's had an a- interesting journey to come into season two when, when, when a, and you're going to be part of the main kids when the main kids was Stranger Things. Like, that was Stranger Things. Yeah. Where the kids, the like Mike, Lucas, Dustin, Will, that was the image. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then now you're joining them. You're going to be part <laughs> yeah. of the group now. Get in there. And that's a lot to live up to. It's a lot of pressure, I'd imagine. And, and I think she kind of outshines all of them to be totally honest with it's you. funny oh, yeah. yeah i mean because it's so i mean and and hey great performances uh, millie bobby brown is well, great actually, but I, dustin's a hard one for me today dustin edited the kids it's dustin 11's a whole separate category dustin yeah, yeah. and um and, and max are, are my favorites of the kids oh for sure and uh, but i feel like yeah it used to be that the kid conversation was like everyone loves finn wolf hard but millie bobby brown is is just like a f- terrific actress which she is not going to take anything away from that but i feel like as of this season the conversation shifted a little bit to like sadie sink is so freaking good yeah and and deservedly so because i mean she's always been great on the show and even you know just watching little flashback snippets you're like oh wow like how far we have come and and how interesting it has been to watch these actors grow on screen uh but yeah like she does feel like she's always been part of the group even though she is the newer addition to the group i like the uh i mean millie bobby brown's just always been like such a standout Mm -hmm. since since day one of this show she's been absolutely phenomenal if any character has grown the most it's her and here she because like season three she's like learning to be a kid it didn't really bring back some of the other stuff i mean she's back into hiding now right like she has to be she has to be hidden again She's exposed. She can't just go back to high school and kill Angela, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, season five. (laughs) Like, she's not destined for normality whatsoever, but, you know, her learning to embrace her position as as the one who will need to be a hero. I like the position they leave her in as someone who feels the loss at what they did, you know? And I'm like, well, if you're painting her as a superhero, that's a great way to paint her as a superhero, not as Hmm. Miss Invincible who shows up Every, at the end of every season to hold her hand up and save the day you know yeah. um so i really i really liked how it's it's they've created a a personal entanglement with her and the main antagonist and her relation to the upside down as she, like she didn't create the upside down but she is the you know the the, the villain blame it, it gives responsibility bestows it on her she had a hand the in creation it here yeah, yeah and I think she, like Millie Bobby Brown just fucking kills it. Like she, she's so unbelievably believable. <laughs> you know? I know, and and with enough time and distance in, in in some ways before revisiting, it's like oh, you know, you 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 lose some of the finer points, but but then you jump back in. I don't know. There's just something about that, like you know, Eleven has a very specific. Like she doesn't talk a lot. She has a very specific syntax and cadence. This and, is the most she's talked, though. Yeah, yeah, it is. But it always is in that voice. Like she's there's just something. Yeah, it's like a, the way she realizes the character and the little ticks and mannerisms are so consistent and so well 
trodden. And I, again, it's like it's such an outlandish character to have to bring to life, you know, especially a character who doesn't have a lot of foundational nurture based on anything normal. And so, yeah, just like the ways in which all those little human emotions that, you know, she's still learning how to deal with and articulate like that all feels so authentic. But then, yeah, the the parts in which she is in her element in such outlandish circumstances, like it's such a fully realized character and, and, and the way she's built it since she was, you know, a kid is is again fascinating to watch and and every season it still feels like a consistent through line like i never feel like there's something that was missing or there was like a chunk out of like why is she acting like this now well i think what she brings that's really unique to beyond beyond just the actual acting parts and scenes and stuff is she she has such a great grasp on physicality I, mm. I don't know quite how to I'll, I'll try to articulate it um, she has a like when she she brings something to the table when she is moving something with her mind and her her hand is up in the air and she understands the emotion per each individual scene of what physical toll is taking on her body in that moment whether it's on what her strength level is of 11 in each scene you know she could show up confident and it doesn't look hard sometimes it could be really hard and when she's like trapped when 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 Vecna's has her in the in the tangled vines you know and or when she is like trying to find the strength when mike's you know echoing like you're a superhero i love you she, there is this like pain and struggle that she, she brings that feels like so believable that that's I, I think a big part why you root for her in those action moments and why they're so cheer worthy too because you could feel this person trying to triumph over something that is harsh on them on them well it's almost as if every time she has to do that she's directly running through the traumas that led her i think that's been a great benefit since the start of the show is the fact that as awesome as her power is it's always been this sort of difficult byproduct of a very traumatic experiment well that's what's cool when she does like when she first shows up and and uh in Max's mind, and she's controlling. She she has Vecna levitated. It's not hurting. It doesn't look like it's a physical pain. Like she's got a nosebleed, but it's not like tough. She's used to that now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and even even too, just like the the physical articulation, and, and and as seen as in the previous episode with the helicopter, it's like there. You know, it, it literally hit me partway through. I was like, okay, so it's not the Star Wars, like uh, you know, it's not Ray. Yeah, it, it really does. There's even just in the body language of how she holds her hand, like it's a it's a delicate thing almost. It's you can just sort of feel the energy, but and it doesn't I mean. have to be this like. Brr. But sometimes it is that brr. And, but <laughs> no, when it yeah. but when it yeah. does get to that point, yeah, it's like there are these like subtle articulations and these subtle you know postures and motions. But you notice those uh, subtle differences when it does become like the. I guess that's it. Is like they. Not every time it happens is the most intense time. So they. But they, that's what I mean by yeah. she has a great understanding of where her character is at in the moment. Yeah. Of yeah. her power set, and I and that and that's such a defining part of her character, and I and I I think that it's something that should not be overlooked <laughs> because no. she knows how to be in pain, and turmoil physically. So she knows how to 
play that so well mm -hmm. and she knows how to play confidence and anger and conquering fear like she's so multi-layered and uh i love I, I just love everything she does so yeah i think uh she's she's excellent here her getting to reunite with hopper at the end beautiful um oh boy that whole plot line yeah there's a whole plot line there <laughs> <laughs> all that stuff in, in russia like did that actually affect what was going on it seemed like you know with the power of editing that it did uh but i wasn't entirely sure like how is them stopping the demogorgon is it because the particles were connected to everything that was happening so the particles by dispersing into the demogorgons by taking out the demogorgons that is helping to take down like the bats and shit and and and, and the upside down while they were there is, is that am i Am I getting that right? I think this is the most direct connection. <laughs> yeah. I mean, part of me could use a little clarification because the the hive mind thing, I was like, well, I guess if you attack anything from the upside down, I guess it all counts as the upside down being like, what is happening? Uh, but yeah, I mean, ultimately I read it as, I guess this is helping create enough chaos and cacophony and, and distraction for the upside down because yeah, you've got Eddie dealing with the bats, you've got them beating up on Demogorgons, you've got all these things happening yeah. and that's throwing Vecna's focus for a loop um I, I did think speaking of cacophony i did think they brought a great sense they, they knew how to capture a cacophony yes they did <laughs> like because it was that that middle chunk was just pure chaos oh yeah and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and you're cutting between three different types of horror mm -hmm. that are all connected you know you got you got spooky haunted hospital or haunted prison yeah. experimental lab prison horror with in russia you got you know spooky supernatural freaking um you know uh, nightmare on elm street like horror uh, and so i i thought they just did such a great job at of throwing you of, of cutting to all these different things and it just wouldn't it was kind of relentless yeah and not and how it didn't like let just wouldn't let you go mm -hmm. and it was exciting but also get really like it just situational wise just really scary <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, yeah, it all contributes. It's like even though you're you're cutting between, you know, you're you're cutting between. This is one story happening here, and this is another story happening here, you know, because of that, you know, sort of shared effect on the overall situation, and because we care about all these people. Yeah, it, it reaches this like fever pitch of everyone is you know is throwing. This is the critical moment for everyone involved. Everyone is exerting. Everybody is fighting back, and these are the the moments that will decide, you know, kind of the fate. And I feel like, yeah, that, that definitely does create a palpable sense of chaos without it being the bad kind of like, I don't think the filmmakers really knew what they were doing. It's like controlled chaos where, yeah, you feel the sort of desperation and, and intensity of it all. And, and yeah, I love all the different notes that they do throughout this. And, and I mean, you know, the stuff in Russia is more plot oriented general it's more action oriented in that yeah they basically need to go back to the prison figure out what's going on there and fight back but uh i don't know just like that ensemble even as much as people have have had issue with that being a quirkier story and a more heightened story uh just like i loved uh, what David Harbour has been doing this whole season, like just the way Hopper has become this sort of like very deliberate, he's got this like very calm, very focused delivery on things and the way he plays off of Joyce and, uh, he, you know, even... Well, he's, he's a changed man. Com completely. <laughs> like it, this 
hopper performance is vastly different than oh, yeah. the hopper who just progressively got more and more like heavier and grumpier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now he's like leaned out and he's he's something that's like accepting. Yeah. And um like even his performance at the very end. I, I think, you know, it, 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 they don't quite lay out in the dialogue how he's changed. Mm-hmm. But it shows in his performance and the and, and beyond just him losing a bunch of weight. It, it's it shows so much by yes, by allowing the audience to kind of fill in the, the experiences this guy has had, and by lamenting a couple of monologues, like at least one I can think of. Um, yeah, it shows how he, he you know he finds a purpose and a confidence, and he does seem like more in tune with that loving side in him now because he's found an appreciation. Mm. And the other seasons, he he does like so like. Grumpy and annoyed. I love. I've always loved Hopper. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I, I always love that David. Ho- I, I like how. But, but in, in season three, it became a little much for me with Hopper at times. Yeah, like he was just like buffoonish <laughs> to a certain, you yeah. know. And and because uh, he was always like the angry, cool, grumpy kind of guy with a lot of pain, but he had Pushing such a heart, and he away. was like you felt safe when he was around. Yeah. And then three, he was, yeah, pushing people away, guy. And then three, it was like, you're kind of just a little goofy. And, <laughs> you know, like, just, and, but here, this was, this was so different. And, and honestly, like, kudos to David Har- Harbour for, I've never seen him this thin before. I know. And, and I was like, damn, this dude really lost some weight, man. That's crazy. <laughs> you look a little bit like you've been in a gulag for a minute, buddy. Yeah. yeah. And like, it wasn't like a six pack abs or something. Like, no, this, this, this is someone who's been like having to do a lot of physical labor in a prison for months and barely eating oh, like shit he, food yeah it, yeah he got the right it's like whatever diet he did for it his body was like just right to match the character's experiences mm-hmm. um which i uh, i thought was awesome and him and joyce finally get to be together yeah they're not even gonna go back and have that fucking date they've been wanting i'm really hungry guys i'm gonna have pizza nuts. i know well and speaking of day i mean the, the one thing that we didn't get any wrap-up on was uh, the fate of enzo our buddy and uh and uh and you know, uh, uh, I can't remember his real name, but the pr- the prison guard buddy who uh, Jock and Hagar from Game of Thrones. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the guy who's helping him break out, who ultimately inspires. Uh, what is the pilot's name? You know, who ultimately gets him to actually Yuri. fucking fix? Yeah, Yuri. Yuri Ishmaelov. Uh, they finally gets him to fix the jet, the helicopter thing, and and all that. Like, I felt like as much as it's not the point, and they are not the most important characters. I was like, I don't know where they wound up. Or at least Enzo wound up, because because uh, he was a character who I liked a lot, and I'm glad he didn't die and and stuff. But I I guess I expected there to be some kind of involvement for him moving forward or a send off, if not because, I mean, he did. While the plan went wrong a million different ways, he did kind of help Hopper out on this thing a lot. I mean, by filling in the blank by seeing who Hopper unites with, mm-hmm. who drive who drops them off, something just must have been worked out. Yeah. I want to see it. They'll probably explain it in the next season. Mm-hmm. They do shit like that. Yeah, he'll be back. Surprise. Yeah. We need this. I know a guy. I know <laughs> a guy who's got peanut butter. And then Enzo and Yuri are running a peanut butter shop. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and fixing uh, airplanes or something like that. Um, but, but but yeah, all the all the like fighting like that that was really intense, and all the like the flamethrower stuff. Like they, I thought they were good at doing homage to like clearly this is referencing movies and, and horror fiction of, of various kinds. But with, 
I mean, the Michael Myers mask and some of the Freddy illusions are pretty dead on, but, you know. Well, I this mean, felt the least, like, remember this movie? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's the, like it's you see thing. snow in a flamethrower, you think of the thing, but it's not going, hey, we did a thing reference, you know? As, or, or, you know, reciting direct lines or things like that. Yeah, it's like you can pick up on what they're referencing, but usually it's like it's so, it became more and more obvious as it went before. Mm. They would be like, that assassin hunting you is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. You look like Magnum <laughs> P.I. <laughs> yeah, whereas here they took the reference and actually just let it be something for this story instead of a reference. You know, it's like you can draw the reference, but it's actually just serving a purpose here. Yeah, Pennywise and Freddy <laughs> Krueger, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, they're not like, it's like Pennywise and Freddy Krueger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it really just still feels like its own thing. And I think what I really thought from a, for doing it something on this epic of a scale, what I think they did so, it's just so beautifully like a big saving grace for me for the Russia storyline because yeah like you know Murray's like funny and Joyce is not much of a character I did like how she got a chance to sort of redeem her her loss of Bob by saving Hopper in that moment I mm -hmm. thought that was great I actually didn't expect her to show up and do something yeah in that in that scene and so when she did I thought that was awesome um and she gets to be with Hopper so yeah, there's like a little bit, there's progression for her character, absolutely. Uh, things finally being fulfilled. And she was so haunted by the loss of Bob in season three. So I think that's great. But what what I think, even on, st what was so cool about the Russia part to me was the set production. Yeah. That was, that, that, and I think the set production overall in this show was, was so excellent in this season. Like for going for the epic scale, really getting to, live in more times that are like when it's cgi it looks awesome even when it's cgi when you know when when vecna origins when he's looking upon that yellow land of the upside yeah, down the desolate upside down land that was gorgeous but what i think <laughs> i gotta turn this red <laughs> <laughs> but what i thought was cool is a lot of the sets felt like sets you uh -huh. know felt like uh, people and, and cost you could feel the costumes you could feel um, how they pay, how they actually constructed these rooms you know whether that be in the Creole house and versus the Creole house in the upside down um, the all of the Russian prison I thought was so awesome and I don't I don't recall ever really thinking that in previous seasons mm. and normally when you hear you know like yeah it's epic and the most expensive it usually means like bigger action scenes and, and more CGI. Yeah, which they do. However, I didn't expect to be like, damn, these sets are cool. Like these yeah. are really good looking sets that emit a tone. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Absolutely loved it. Like every set, <laughs> when yeah. especially in the in, in the two episodes of Volume Two, was really great to look at. Yeah, well, that's that that keeps me coming back to this feeling of like you know, there's there's the hype and excitement, but I feel like beyond that, you can you can have rose colored glasses for any number of reasons, but this does truly feel like a special season, a special show, a special culmination to me here now because of 
not only all the things we've talked about with the writing and with the character stuff and with the acting, but yeah, like the, the sets are beautiful. Like everything feels like you can tell where this investment went. No expense was spared and they seem like they were allowed to do what they wanted, what they thought was right for the story. And it seems like there were capable hands making those decisions. And so even though there are things you can gripe about here, me sitting here, I'm just like, wow, this was like so gripping and cathartic, even if there are flaws that you can point out about this plotline or that, like this really does feel like the, a, like a, 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 not the peak of all cinema, but you know, like this really does feel like a high watermark in terms of, you know, storytelling in this format here and now with these resources, like it's, it's really beautifully rendered and it's really convincing and it's, yeah, I mean, it's things like that. It's like, it, that is movie magic to me when it's like, you can point at everything, the shots, the lighting, the effects, the way the practical and the CG effects interplay, the way those choices are made, you know? Like, so much of that, all of that, it kind of calls, comes together to make this feel like something special more than just a really great season of TV, you know? I didn't think the Jason shit amounted to much, though, even though I agree with every single thing you said. I was like, yeah, sure. what is the one thing, though, that I was like, hmm. you could have done something different or you, you you possibly could have eliminated it. It served as a way for Lucas to have an arc and served as a great plot inconvenience. Yes, <laughs> great tension get, in the moment. To get Max to a certain physical point where he could not put the headphones on her and shit. Um, you know what I think they should have done? What? And I don't want to be that guy. I think if they had just added one beat of him looking up, I, I see. That's the thing. I don't know. I guess. I guess I don't know how you get him to that point of realizing what the true nature is because he's just another one of the people who believes. Like the TV report at the end was like Eddie Munson and the Munson murders, and somehow those caused this. <laughs> and I, I don't know how you undo that. But part of me thinks like, man, if you just had him like look up and maybe say something to Lucas in that final moment that suggests a revelation or an, oh, I guess I was a bit pigheaded about this and I should have listened to you or, or something. And then he gets, part of me is like, he gets disintegrated and there is no redemption. And I like that partly because yeah, I mean, you know, he made his bed, but at the same time, yeah, there's not really an arc or, or a true payoff beyond like, well, I guess you should have listened. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like some, and sometimes it felt that way with Billy in season two of Stranger Things. Yeah. I'm just like, there's a real thing happening here, and this bully keeps showing up to be a bully. <laughs> and to, yeah, kind of ignore the greater. Like, yeah, it's like, I like that they, I think they got kind of halfway, because I like that. Definitely, it's that, a halfway point. There's there's a lot about it I liked, and there's a lot, but by the ending payoff with it is the, the one thing I'm like, yeah, it was kind of whatever yeah it's like if you if you if you reduce every story to you know not that everything but yeah if you say three beats to uh, uh an act structure you know it's like we got one to two we got to the point of him accepting like no no no, this is satan this is some kind of supernatural <laughs> satan thing yeah like one more step in some uh, some direction or another i think would have made that feel like a full circle thing whereas yeah it's just sort of like ah. Uh, tough for you <laughs> well it was like it went about as far as an 80s movie would go mm -hmm. and i don't f feel like that's this movie surpasses 80s movies yeah and 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 every like it, it doesn't just go be an 80s movie like they to me this was yeah it's about the extent of where this archetype character in this position would go mm -hmm. <laughs> and 
I don't know, even like the storyline of people believing that the Hellfire Club was, you know, this demonic thing responsible for the murders. That didn't really, it really felt like it just didn't amount to much ultimately. But like you had such a great setup with it where it was asking, like, okay, how it's all gonna, how's it all gonna culminate? It's gonna become like, Halloween kills. But I'm like, it doesn't really feel like it culminated with it. I think that's what it maybe could have used is that, yeah, you have the two of, it almost feels like their story gets consistently smaller even with that news report at the end because they are the faces of, no, this satanic panic thing with Dungeons and Dragons and the Hellfire Club is real. We have to go find them and we have to, you know, dispense justice. But by the end, it's just him and his buddy. Whereas I feel like if you actually had the town or or just more people, this this thing being sort of a plague in and of itself of paranoia and people acting, it's like they hint at that where everybody in town is at the, you know, army surplus store. But uh, yeah, it, it almost feels like that story narrowed out over time instead of getting wider. And I think there's plenty of, and not that it needs to be Halloween Kills, but I feel like what that movie tried to do, this could have surpassed yeah. uh, with something like that. Uh, but then again, I feel like that would open you up to more episodes or more time or, or it would take away from what some other thing that we were doing that ultimately is... I think most everything that we got and focused on is probably yeah. more important ultimately than that. But as it kept going, it just kept feeling like you're getting in the way. Because it doesn't really develop beyond I'm still determined to find you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, like you're getting in the way. And then the main thrust it serves is like for Lucas to have a, a realization about himself and for him to smash Max's headphones. <laughs> yeah, it feels more like a plot mechanic by the yeah, end than an actual character story like most things feel like. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that was kind of just the, the one part because I, 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 I always like checking in with it. Yeah. But then by the end of it, it was like, huh, uh, that's about it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but as it stands, uh, this was pretty amazing and epic and uh, beautiful and wonderfully constructed. And I hope that the filmmakers and cast are insanely proud of making television history because this was awesome. This yeah. is a this is event TV event event TV and streaming. You know that it's fine, which is so much harder to do. Yeah, <laughs> so, buddy. Um, you know, like when you when you release multiple episodes at once. I'm saying versus like especially for Stranger Things. Like this was such a unique type of experience, and uh, it's. Stranger Things has only become more special now to me mm -hmm. after this season. Or normally by a season four, sometimes it starts to not feel as special. <laughs> and, and this has become more special, and I love the way it ended because it's so different. It warrants this crazy level of production and length of storytelling. And it um, it elevated the show in, in every way and it made it something that I'm like, I can't wait for season five. I just can't wait. I know. Because it, it now it feels like that will be the final story. Yeah. And it feels like they've really paved the way. We've set, they've set up everything in place now. And, and now it's time for the final showdown. Yeah. It's that Harry Potter thing. I never would have thought about it. And, and I can't remember who referenced it. But someone was like, there's a little bit of Harry Potter in the formula for Stranger Things. And I'm like, Definitely. oh my God, you're right. And, and that's, I think, part of that magic is because not only is it the developing story, but every... Every year, it's a new year, it's a new school year, it's a new age, you know, in the coming of age journey. Like, Cast gets bigger. Yeah, it's like 
baked into the show beyond everything else in the story is just that growth and that embrace, even though it is somewhat problematic now that the kids are older by a good amount than who they're supposed to be playing. Uh, still, it, it gives it that extra element of real life attachment, I think, that that is really beautiful to see when it works and, and, and speaks to the time capsule that cinema can be as well as, you know, the, the vehicle for all sorts of imaginative, you know, fancy. True that, son. True. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, guys. Well, journey's over. <laughs> for now. For another several years until part five comes out. Bye. Peace. Thanks for being here. Check us out on Patreon. Bye. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.